Y'all ready to receive a word from the Lord? God is good, amen? And all the time, he is good. Hey, once again, my name is Tyler Wooten. Uh, right now, I reside in Greenville, Texas with my beautiful wife, uh, my little boo thing, the one that was, le- that was uh, leading y'all in worship. Come on, I, that, that, was, that must have been some good uh, uh, seed that I planted somewhere down the road to reap this harvest. I don't know. Yeah, did something right. I don't know what it is, brother. Um, I got just a few short minutes. I do have my mother, mother in love, and grandmother in love in the house with with a relentless band. Um, you guys are incredible. Uh, let's dig into it. Amen. I love preaching the word of God. I um, I don't believe that uh, we should be quiet about the word of God. Um, if this wasn't supposed to be you know, proclaimed from the rooftops. Um, Jesus would have died in a closet, fully clothed. Uh, But, you know, he preached a public sermon entitled Love and Power on something called Golgotha, butt naked. That's my God. Amen? Come on, so I will preach it wherever I go, no matter what coffee shop I'm in, no matter what workplace. If the Lord opens a door, I'm taking it. If not, I'm kicking it down and I'm walking through it. Amen? preaching you a word entitled, It's On The Way. Look at your neighbor and say, it's on the way. Say, it's on the way. Come on, speak it over the life. Say, it's on the way. Open up your Bible, the sharp word of God to Isaiah chapter 40. Somebody say amen. 7.30, moving right along. Isaiah chapter 40, starting at verse 28. I'm telling you, I believe, I believe this word is prophetic to this church. I believe it, um, it is on time. Um, I don't know uh, what's going on um, at the Way Bible Church right now. First of all, Pastor, thank you for letting me fill this pulpit. I, it's an honor. What an honor. Um, are you thankful for your senior pastor in the room? I love senior pastors. How about every other pastoral staff member, Pastor D, everyone else, all the leaders, youth group. What's up, youth? I can't wait to be with you guys at camp. It's going to be incredible. God's going to do some awesome things, and you will never be the same. Uh, you are not here by accident. You are here by assignment, and you are being sent by assignment because God is setting your butt up to be touched by him at camp. He's going to blindside you with his love, a love that you never tasted before. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28, goes something like this. I'm reading out of the, um, I'm, I'm reading out of the New King James Version. Is that all right? The grown-up version. I'm just playing. I'm playing. I've always wanted to say that. I don't really know what it means, but verse 28, have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk, and they shall not faint. Amen, Lord, I pray that you speak loudly in this place, God. Past the sound frequencies of my voice, God. And I pray that, that no word comes out of my mouth, Father, that is not a lying, God, uh, to the truth. Holy Spirit, speak in this room. Amen. 
we um uh, there has been something, and, and I'm going to kind of fast forward through some points. Um, there has been something when we read that verse um, that has crept into the church, um, something, something, something by the name of uh, uh, comfortableism, something by the name of complacency and apathy. See, we read this verse, and we, and we read those who wait on the Lord, and, the, and, we, and we have taken that, and, and we have said this thing, and I need you to follow me on this. We've said this thing, um, this kind of comfort phrase all the time, oh, we're just going to wait on the Lord. Uh, uh, or, uh, or God's timing is perfect. I do believe that, but I'm going to explain myself in a minute why sometimes I don't think it's appropriate to say so. That word wait in, in the Hebrew is the is, is Hebrew word kaval. That's how you pronounce it. And that word kaval means to wait with an eager expectation. It means to to bri- uh, to to bri- um to to bind and to braid, to entwine with the situation, to almost become one with it, but to wait with an eager expectation. Anybody love Christmas break? I love Christmas, man. I love the gifts so freely given. Man, I just I love it. I, you know, I, I, I'm wishing right now it was a little, it was a little cooler in Texas. Texas weather, what in the world? Bipolar, can't decide what it is. If it's mad or happy, there's no seasons, you know. But over Christmas break, I went to visit my parents. And I pulled up to my dad's house, and I'm excited to visit the family, you know. And um, I pull up to my dad's house, and I look up, and through the front glass door, I see my dad standing there. Standing there just staring out the door. Now, it, it, you don't know my dad, obviously, but my dad, he's kind of, uh, he's just, he's really hairy, number one. Number two, he looks like, um, like Gerard Butler, like on a bad day, you know? And it's just kind of a, all the women in the house said, oh, man, I got to meet your dad. <laughs> But he's kind of a scary-looking guy, and so I pulled up to the house, and I'm, I'm jamming, you know, um, uh, a joy to the world or something. I'm in a happy, kind of a giddy mood, and I look over uh, at the front door of the house, and I see my dad standing there, and I'm like, oh, my Lord. I'm like, what? And so I kind of run up to the house, and I'm like, I'm like, I'm like Dad, you do understand you look crazy right now. You st- if, and if you remain here for another five minutes, we're not going to have any neighbors. Because they're going to see you, and they're going to think that they've released some beast from the local prison, and you're out to get them all. I said, Dad, what are you doing? He said, he said, he said oh, I ordered my wife a package. He said, and last time the UPS man came by, I wasn't home to receive the package. So he said, uh, I'm not going to miss the package this time. And in that moment, the Spirit of God grabbed me, gripped me. Most men in this room, I'm sure you have a chair, you know, the lazy boy chair you sit in, you know, in your living room. You know the chair I'm talking about, the chair you, you kind of lay back in your chair and watch football. Well, my dad has a chair, and in that moment when the Spirit grabbed me, the first thing I noticed was he was, not, he was no longer in his chair. And I began to dig, and, 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 and the Spirit told me, to Tyler, this is what happens so often, and, and I'm just going to talk about the American church for a second. We get so comfortable, and we sit back on this chair called complacency, and this chair called apathy, which are the two deadliest things in the kingdom. 
And so my dad got up off the chair and went to the door and stood there. He's waiting with an eager expectation. And I believe that's how we should be in the church, to get up off of our chair and to stand at the door so when the package does come, when the, when the thing that God wants to deliver to you in your life, whether it be a breakthrough, whether it be whatever, we can miss it. Yes, let me say this. God is so good that he will bring it right back around eventually, but there is a waiting process. I'm going to support that with some stories. You know, some of you say, well, doesn't all things work out for the good of those who love him? Yeah, but grace isn't, here's what grace is not. Grace is not when you sit back and autopilot through the channels of your life on a comfortable chair and expect God to pour out things upon your life. You have to press into his heart, press into the secret place, wait with an eager expectation at the door of God. Amen? What grace is, it is the undeserved favor waiting on the other side of the door. Well, that sounds like works, brother. That sounds like works. No, what it is is you just being a person of God, uh, throwing yourself in the secret place. And, 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 and let me say this. The last thing God needs is a feeble-minded Christian singing his praises. That's the last thing he needs. What he expects us to do is wait with an eager expectation. Amen. Talk a little bit about Elijah. Elijah. Say Elijah. See, Elijah had history with the Lord. Therefore, he stood confident on the word of God when it came forth to him. What happened was, back in Elijah's time, there was a drought in the land. For three and a half years, there was a drought. And he had history with the Lord. He's the one that, shortly before the story, when he's on the mount praying, he's, he showed, you know, he, he's sent to a widow's house, and, you know, he looks at the widow that, you know, the, the son just, just took his last breath, breath and died. He said, give me your son. And Elijah's the one that laid, laid on the son and, and three times, you know, cried out for his life to be revived, and God did it. Elijah's the one that they had the, uh, the showdown in the courtyard with all of Baal's people. And by the end of that, God showed up, showed out, and King Ahab eventually started saying, you know, your God is the true God. Which is kind of ironic because Ahab was a husband of, um, of Jezebel, which um, uh, Baal was the deity of Jezebel. So it's kind of a funny story there. But Elijah had history with the Lord. Therefore, he said, my God will send rain this time. This is why David so confidently slung the, uh, uh, slung the stone at the uh, giant Goliath because before he would already went through a process. He took down a lion and a bear and... See, a lot of us in this room, we've, we've had history with the Lord. We have a confident history that one time when you were set free, you were truly set free, but you still trample back in your stuff. You've heard a word from the Lord, and all of a sudden, you, you don't have enough courage to step out into the destiny that God has called you to because of fear. But you know in the past, he set you free, and you've seen him do power and miracles in people's life. Yet we still have this fear. So Elijah was, was confident that he heard from the Lord saying, I'm about to send rain upon the land. I need you to go pray. James says, 
Elijah was a man just like us. Just like you and I, no different. He said he was a man of, he prayed fervently. That word fervently in the Greek means red hot. When's the last time you've had a prayer session like that? There was a drought in the land. In fact, Elijah means my God is Yahweh. That's a cool fact. Write it down. I'm taking notes. By the way, who's taking notes? Three people. That's okay. You will make it to heaven faster. So it's, it's, it's a guarantee. I'm just playing. That's a bad joke. I've got to stop saying that. I don't know. Elijah knew in his heart more than he did in his head that his God was Yahweh, the God. So we see Elijah on top of this mountain praying with his servant. And he's praying, and he, he tells the servant, he says, go look over the edge of the cliff. Do you see anything? Is, is there any evidence of rain? What do you do when there's evidence of a dry season in your life but a promise of rain? What do you do in the meantime? Let me encourage you of this, people of God. Lean on the promises. Why? Because they're enough. He will never leave nor forsake you. Okay? That encouraged. That was for somebody in the room. I feel it. So, so Elijah's on this mountain, and his, 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 his servant looks back and says, Master, I don't see anything. So Elijah prays a second time. And he says, go look. And by the way, Elijah, the, the, the position that he was in, I'm not going to get too graphic. He was in a birthing position. See, back in the day when, when people gave birth, when ladies gave birth, it was in a much different uh, a way. They didn't have hospitals. So Elijah's head, he was down like this, and Elijah's head was between his knees. He was in a birthing position. He was travailing in a birthing position. Mothers in the room know you go through travail when you, have, when you give birth to something. See, what Elijah was trying to give birth to was the, was the promise of God. Elijah knew how to get intimate with the Lord. We know in this place that it is an intimate place where you are pregnated. It is where you are honest. It's where you're real. It's where you say what you see is what you get. And it's behind a closed door. Intimacy is not a public matter. So if you only get intimate at church, let me say this. If you only get intimate with the Lord at church and press in and cry out, you only do it here. It is not real. If you can only pray over people in church, it's not real. Talk to you about the secret place. The secret place, what I'm referring to, is the very place you go to that is your refuge, refuge that nobody else can hear you in the secret place. The reason why we gossip so much and the reason why we Facebook and, and subtweet and all this stuff is because we don't know how to get everything out to God. We don't know how to converse with him and process with him. That, that is why gossip exists, because we don't run to the person we should be telling our frustrations to. The secret place, there, there are depths, dimensions, revelation that you can only access in the secret place. There are places of the heart of God that you can only tap into in the secret place that you can never tap into in a corporate anointing.
The storm brews in the secret place. Elijah's on top of a mountain with only a person around in the secret place with God. The reason why we sometimes don't see breakthrough in our lives is because we don't stay long enough. What if Joshua walked around the wall six times? What if Naaman only dips six times? What if Elijah laid on the widow's son that just died only twice? What would happen? I wonder how many times we are on the verge of breakthrough in our life. We walk up to the door after getting up off our chair, and right before God shows up, you know, I'm tired of praying, man. I'm tired of praying. I, I'm just tired of it, Lord. You're so, so Lord, you're so sovereign uh, that you're just going to send it to me. I'm just going to go chill and just wait and do nothing and autopilot and be so comfortable in my Christian life. No. God is looking for people to stand at the door asking, seeking, and knocking, saying, God, whenever you decide to deliver this package, I'm standing here. And God, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be like the persistent, annoying widow that pressed in until she got what she wanted. I'm not saying beg God. I'm not saying, you know, beat on the chest of God and get on his nerves and all this stuff. But just show him that your faith is there. Show him that he is a faithful person to walk with. You know, there's a time when you're uh, uh, running after Jesus, and there's a time when you're running with him. I wonder how many times I've been in that place, and I've walked away right before my friend got saved. I wonder. Men in the room, if you don't have a vision for your family, let me encourage you to press into the secret place of the heart of God. Bible says a man without vision perishes. Let me encourage every man in this room that is leading a family to press into the secret place for the will and the destiny for your family. Sometimes you're in a situation like Paul was. Paul says, this is a thorn in my side, Lord, remove it. And how many times God said no? Three times he said no. He said, my grace is sufficient. Have you ever wondered, I submit this to you, have you ever wondered, you're in a situation of life that you, you're in circumstances that you really don't like, a scenario at work you really don't like, and you're saying, God, remove this thorn from my side. And you're pressing in, and you're pressing in, and, and you're saying, God, remove this thorn from my side. And he says, no. I believe the reason why he said no to Paul is because he was trying to change Paul in the midst of his circumstance. Look, God is not a God of circumstance, of situation. He is your God. He's your personal God. And his priority is you. So in the midst of your circumstance, in the midst of a valley season that you're going through, let me encourage you to do this. Say, God, how can I be chiseled, sifted, and, and redefined in this situation? That's a good word. He's building your faith is what he's doing. He's seeing how long you're willing to stand at the door and waiting with eager expectation for the breakthrough in your life. Whether it's financially, whether it's better uh, a communication with your kids, whether it's, whether, whether it's better communication, uh, intimacy with your wife, I don't know. Intimate place is where you are honest. It's where you're real. It's, it's where you're standing at the door saying, God, 
I don't have much to give, but what I do have, it's here. I'm bringing everything with me. It's not much, but God, it's here. John the Revelator understood intimacy with Jesus. He was the one that just cried all throughout throughout the, uh, the ministry of Jesus. He was the one that in fact, his, his title was the Beloved. He was the one that leaned up on the heart of God, on the heart of Jesus. You know, Jesus is sitting at the table saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And, and all of a sudden, John went from the Beloved to the Revelator, just a few books later. And now Jesus is saying, I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. Behold, I'm making all things new. There's something powerful about your intimacy. He was the one that received the revelation from God. See, Mary understood this. Most people believe that Mary was the woman that walked across a crowded room and got before the feet of Jesus. And, you know, we know how the story goes. She broke the alabaster jar and anointed him, his whole body, with this perfume as the fragrance filled the world. When everyone else in the room missed it, missed the very... God of heaven in the room. She walks across this crowded room, and, and the audacity that people like Judas had to say, oh, we could have sold that, you know, perfume. Shut your mouth. You know, in fact, we see that uh, Mary was the one that noticed that Jesus wasn't even in the tomb. She was the one that said, he's risen. And let me say this, by the way, a little side note. When she said he is risen, that word is means he is actually risen. He actually physically is not there. It's the same word used when it says whom the Son sets free is free indeed. You are actually set free, but the problem is we're set free, but we don't walk in it. I encourage you to not start walking into freedom. You know you were set free at last service. You know that one Sunday back in the day, you know, years ago at youth camp, even you adults in the room, you know you are set free. Walk in freedom. Just walk in it. So she's the one that went from the, you know, <laughs> no, nah, there's more than just adults in the room. I can't say this. But she's the one that, that let her hair down. It's a sign of devotion. You didn't do that in the culture. It's a sign of intimacy. Letting her hair down, breaking the alabaster box. And we see that she's the one that got the front row seat to his resurrection. See, there's something powerful. This, what I'm trying to get across is there's something powerful about your intimacy with Jesus. I'm not saying don't make it weird. Don't, you know, it's not like, oh, I'm going to cuddle up with him. However you do it, that's your thing. Whatever. See, the thing about my secret place that I like is you don't know what I'm saying. You don't know. You don't, you don't know. I, you're not there to listen, and I don't care for you to be there. The secret place with God. Prayer is the preparation now, let me say this. Let me rewind a little bit. Jesus knew how to get alone with God. Hey, he went on top of the mountain, prayed. Some theologians believe prayed for 12 hours. And from there, he went forth to decide the 12 disciples who he would go forth uh, to carry his gospel and change the world with. So if you think about it, he pressed in for an hour for every disciple. Kind of cool thing. I don't know. Cool. I like theories and beliefs. That's kind of intrigued by it all. Jesus, Jesus son of God, knew how to get alone with the Father. Garden of Gethsemane, he got alone. Anyways, prayer is the preparation place for power. This is why we stand at the door and wait. 
Because on the other side, there's a package of power and anointing that God is going to deliver in your life. This is what prayer does. I believe prayer does this in the spirit realm. I don't want to get too deep. Prayer lays the very asphalt for God to release his full horsepower on. Not trying to to compare God to a car, but imagine him, just for illustration's sake, as a huge engine. With a lot of horsepower. And he would never be able to reach the full potential in your life if you don't pray and pave the way to your destiny. That's what prayer does. It paves the way. It lays down asphalt in your life for God to release his full horsepower in your life. His full power. The power, you know, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you receive power. Power. Dunamis. That's where we get the word dynamo. A regenerating power. That's where we get the word dynamite. An explosive right now regenerating power. That's what the Holy Ghost is. Why wouldn't you, uh, as a person of God, want to be standing at the door? You never know what God's going to deliver in your life. Leonard Ravenhill says this, the world is not waiting for a new demonstration of the gospel. But for a new, I'm sorry, the world is not waiting for a new definition of the gospel, but for a new demonstration of the power of the gospel. Charles Spurgeon says, I'd rather teach one man how to pray than ten to preach. We're starting to land in this plane. Dave, come back up here, the band. Go ahead and come. I'm close with a couple thoughts. Let me encourage you to go from this place and find a secret place. You say, well, I have it. Or if you say that, you know, you have it all together. Let me tell you something. In the kingdom, that's immaturity. You say you have it all together tonight. You don't. You just don't. Paul even says, I, I, I haven't even attained this. It's an onward pressing towards the goal until the day of Christ Jesus. There is something always in our life you could be pressing into. Whether it's your family, whether it's your relationship, your spouse, your kids. Get into the secret place and start to inquire the heart, the heart of God. David says, let us be a generation that seeks your face, that inquires your face, O God. I said, earlier, I said this earlier, but there is revelation and there are dimensions of God, of his heart, that you can only find in the secret place with him. Let it not be just a Sunday, come to church, pray it up. Let it not be that. Let it be real. Let it be something that when you do show up to church, that it is but an overflow of what you've done all week privately. Let what you do in public just be an overflow of your private life. What I'm tired, and I see this a lot in students, it's just this, this counterfeit, just this plastic Christianity. That's not real. It's not a to live as Christ, to die as gain kind of passion. Man, I want to see that in this generation. I want to see that. That's what impresses me. Your swag doesn't impress me. 
Your heart impresses me. Your, who you are as a person is what's going to impress me. I don't care how successful you are and think. Look, God is going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, not successful servant. I want to see a faithful generation pressing into the heart of God. Look a little bit about my past, man. I used to be, just to be blunt, I used to be a dope dealer. Now I'm a hope dealer. I was caught up. But the love of God hit me from behind and breathed on me one day, and I was never the same. He wrecked me for good. I'm telling you, students at camp, something's going to happen in your life that you will never be the same. You're going to look back and say, that was the day that I met the author and the finisher of my faith. That was the day that I met the Alpha and the Omega and the God of love. If you've been praying and you say, Tyler, I've been standing at the door, but nothing's happened. Look, just hold on. Keep drawing near to him. And by his word, he's required to respond. <laughs> Look, you haven't missed it. It's on the way. Say it's on the way. I'm thankful it's on the way. I'm thankful that he hasn't forgotten about me. In the times of my distress and despair, in, in, in the times where I feel like I'm lowest, look, that's when God moves the most. Bishop T.D. Jakes says this way, the glory is on the floor. Find a secret place. Get a prayer life going on. It's just processing with God, with your Father. Look, in the moment you start praying, I, I promise you, His ears turn towards you. And he listens to everything. He bottles up your tears. He hears your every cry. Look, I, I'm convinced. Because the gospel says when you don't have words to utter nor express, the Spirit helps you in your weakness. I'm not going to get into too deep in that. But look, I'm convinced that a cry of agony is a prayer sent up to heaven. A groan, just a... Oh. I believe it's a prayer. I believe God said, I heard that. If there, are any, if there are any single mothers in the room, if you're stressed and if you're going through something, I feel, like, I, feel like, I feel that in here. If you're going through something right now, the groans and the cries that soak your pillow at night, he hears them. He's not done with you. I, I, I feel like that's for somebody. I don't know who it is. He hears you. We have to be a people. We have to be sons and daughters of the king. To get up off of our chair and stand at the door asking, seeking, and knocking. Saying, God, I'm waiting with an eager expectation. Things come, they blindside me, but no matter what, I'm still standing here at the door and I'm not moving. Look, life is a roller coaster. Life is tough. But we have the greatest power in the world. The very power that rose Christ from the grave. Look, the power is found in his resurrection, amen. Stand up with me if you would, church, and we're going to land this plane. See what the Lord does. My challenge to you is this, church. To wait with an eager expectation for God to move. You all know what you need in life. I'm not saying what you want. What God is going to deliver, he's going to deliver what you need. 
And I encourage you to let it be what you want. Let what you know you need, let that be what you want and desire. If you wait with an eager expectation, Scripture says, He'll renew your strength. You'll run and not be weary. You'll walk and not faint. He'll mount you up with wings like an eagle. Do you know what that means? To be mounted up with wings like an eagle. Maybe you've covered this. I don't know. What it means is you're mounted up and you now soar. This is what, this is what, let me tell you something about eagles. Can I tell you a little bit something about eagles real quick? This is what eagles do. Eagles see a storm coming from miles away. And all of a sudden they do like this. They soar up. They see the storm and they fly right towards the storm. But the awesome thing is they don't fly in the storm. They soar above it. And this is what this this is the picture that the scripture paints. For waiting with an eager expectation, pressing into the heart of God, he will mount us up with wings like eagles. And now the things we used to live in, we now live above. We now live over. Look, when you climb higher, when you get up higher, your whole perspective changes. The thing, the very thing that look, that used to look like uh, it, it could take you out and kill you, now you can just, it's minuscule. So my challenge is to develop this prayer life. Like Spurgeon said, like I said earlier, I'd rather teach one man to pray. Because prayer is what's going to change the world. Not good deeds, not good morals. You can good moral yourself on the way to hell. It's a prayer life. It is developing a relationship. I'm not talking about a religious commotion. I'm sick of it. I'm talking about a real relationship with the Father of lights, with the King of glory, the one that is so into you, the one that looks down upon you and says, you know, that's my baby girl down there. I'm so proud of her. That's my warrior son. Man, man I put so much in him. If he can only see an ounce of what I put in him. If you could only see what I put in him. You never know who you are until you know who he is. And how do you find that out? By reading this infallible truth that will never be shaken, that is sharper than any two-edged sword when you come in agreement with it. By seeking his heart and listening to what he says. I'm not talking about throwing up a wish list to him. I'm talking about processing and conversing with the king. I'm about talking with him. Sounds crazy, yeah, that's, that's why we're going to change the world. That's why we're part of the strongest army that, that, that has ever existed. Jesus. It's on the way. My favorite part, my favorite part of this story about Elijah I think we stopped on the, th- on the third time he prayed. He sent a servant out. He said, look. He said, Master, there's nothing. A fourth time and a fifth time and a sixth time. He said, there's nothing. And Elijah said, you know what? I'm going to be, I'm going to live a life of persistent prayer. I know I heard from the voice of God. I'm going to keep pressing until this thing happens. There's drought in the land for three and a half years. We need rain. Elijah was the one who made the announcement that God said there would be no more rain anyways. So he's about to turn it back on. But he heard from the Lord. Some of you heard from the Lord and we give up. 
Look, I know how it is. Trust me. So he prays the seventh time. Persistent, powerful prayer, passionate prayer. It's not always, it's not really about the volume of his voice. It was more about the intensity of his heart. He's pressing in. He says, go look. My favorite part of the story. Servant looks out and says, Master. He said, he said I, 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 I see something in the distance. He said, I see something in the distance. He looks up and says, there is a cloud. There's a cloud as small as a man's hand in the distance. I can only imagine the rejoicing that happened. Of course, they had to run down the hill because the rain was coming, the storm was coming. After three and a half year drought, you know the drought I'm talking about, the drought we have in our hearts sometimes in our Christian life. But I'm releasing this over you right now. There is something on the way in your life. There is something on the way. There is a cloud of breakthrough. Although it's as small as a man's hand, look, it's on the way. There is no junior high serving of the Holy Spirit and of his love. When it rains, it pours. I just want you to receive that right now. There's a cloud, and it's on the way. A cloud of breakthrough. It's on the way. It's on the way. Stand at the door waiting with an eager expectation, and it is on the way. It may seem small right now, but it's on the way, and it's going to change your life. Before the service, I was at the house, and my wife walked around the corner, and I was kind of rocking on the couch, and kind of just stirred up for this tonight, and I feel like the Lord said, Tyler, you need to let the Way Bible Church know that there is a cloud. In fact, in the moment, I said, I'm fine, nothing's wrong. But he said, Tyler, let him know there's a cloud. There's an anointing about to fall on this place. Come here in 2014, it's going to fall on this place. And you're going to start experiencing power like you've never experienced power before. On a Sunday morning service, you don't get that on Sunday morning services. We save it for conference. Now I'm talking about there's a powerful cloud on the way and the storm is brewing right now. I encourage every uh, member in this room of the church right now to start seeking the heart of God uh, like you never have before. If you really want to see revival happen in your city, in your community, in your church, I say right now is the time to press in. Look, the harvest is ripe. Let us not grow weary in doing good for at just the right time, Apostle Paul says, we will reap a harvest. Look, it is right for your church. I'm telling you, I feel that it's so strongly right now in the spirit realm. God's saying, let them know. You got to let them know because it's coming, whether they like it or not. It's going to blow in like it never has before. I feel it so strongly. I feel like God is going to start giving your pastor revelation that, that he don't think he's ready for. But he said, God, uh, 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 look, let me say this. Pray for your pastor. Your pastor, youth pastor, worship pastor, whatever. Uh, pray that they start preparing bigger seats than they have. Because what's going to happen is God, the Spirit of God, is going to enter the, uh, enter, enter Pastor Joel's room. And first thing the Spirit of God is going to do, withholding the revelation, what it's going to do is look around for a seat to sit upon. And pray that your pastor prepares a big enough seat for him. I believe you are that man. I believe he has prepared a seat. You don't know what it takes for him. You don't know what travail he goes under for you. So, Jesus, I pray right now, I, 
I just feel like that was just a, a, a God-timed word. I don't know who received it in this room, but I just feel like I was on mission tonight. I feel like going after uh, uh, just, just the schemes of the kingdom of hell, for it is doomed for failure. So I speak right now over this church, God. I decree, Father, and I declare. And we thank you, God, that on credit, Father, that there is a cloud coming. Although it may look small right now, Father, I pray for the faith, God, and the obedience to say, you know what, I'm still going to pray. I'm not going to stop at number six. But I'm going on to seven, Lord. I release that over this room right now. The move of God I'm talking about is not a man-made move of God. Bible says, with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. I'm not talking about a temporary movement that just sweeps through. I, I'm talking about a, a, a long-lasting, standing, uh, a kinetic move. Look, this word of God, is, it is kinetic. God is a kinetic God. He's a moving God. In fact, he beat you here today, and he knew each and every soul that was going to be represented in this room, each and every family that was going to be in this room, he beat you here. Bow your heads with me, church, if you would. We're going we're gonna to move on. If you're in this room tonight, and we just got to be honest because we're in church. And we all, we, we've all gone through stuff. And we're all going through something. If you're in this room and you say, you know what, Tyler, I, I've stood at the door for a long time. And I stopped six deep prayers in and I walked away. And you say, tonight I'm just going to be so bold and say, you know what, I'm going back to the door and I'm not moving. I'm not moving. That's you sleep your hand up and down on to pray for you. I see those hands in this room. Thank you, Lord. I'm telling you, God is going to deliver a package that you've never, ever experienced before. In fact, I, I believe it's going to deliver it so big you're going to need to pull someone in with you to carry it. <laughs> Surround yourself with community. If you're in the room and you say, you know, I never really heard grace presented as power before. I thought it was just free as far as God's just going to pour it out on me without me doing anything. And I've never stood up out of that chair. I've never got up before, and I've never had an expectant spirit before. If that's you in the room, I want to pray for, uh, I just want to pray over you tonight as well. Slip your hand up and down. You say, I've never got up off that chair. Be okay with it. I see it. The band's going to start to sing, and what I want to do is just ask you, you know, if you'd be so bold to just come forward. In just a second, I'm going to count to three. And I just want you to come forward. I, I feel the Spirit stirring in this room right now. And if you say, I, I want a more intimate life with my Father, with, with the King of glory, you say that, I want you also to come forward in just a second. Look, you don't have to have it together when you show up at the door. In fact, in the broken places when you're most beautiful, it's when you influence the most. I don't have time for that, but. Know this, when you walk up to the door, it's obvious that we are a fallen people and we don't have much to give. But what, but what we do bring to the door, we bring all of us.
and we just simply say, God, here I am. We say, God, here I am. God, hear your people right now, Father. We know we don't have it all together, God. 